Thank you, Jordan, for that lovely introduction. Yes, I'm Mitch. Um, if you could have your Bibles open to um, Matthew chapter 1, uh, the page number is on your screen. Uh, sorry, Matthew, Mark. <laughs> Just testing you, you guys are awake. That's good, that's good. It's a good start. Uh, so Mark chapter 1, the, the page number's on the screen. Uh, I'll read the, tes- the text after a brief introduction, but before that, uh, let, me, let me just pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving your holy word throughout the centuries. Uh, please let this word take deep root in our hearts so that it may yield pleasing fruit in our lives to you. Uh, please use your servant and your word to accomplish your will. Soften our hearts and transform our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of your great name. This I ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Amen. Uh, You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Uh, You see, we have an issue with authority, don't we, from a young age. Uh, And this doesn't seem to be uh, quickly uh, removed as we grow older. Many of us struggle with authority, don't we? Perhaps you've seen it used and abused. Uh, Perhaps you think that those who have it shouldn't. Or perhaps, if you're like me, you think everything would go all right if you were in charge. Now, isn't it interesting that few of us like authority unless we're the ones who have it? A COVID really brought this out into the open, did it not? Or was it just me yelling at the screen? Uh, so for good or ill, we're all under authority, whether it's a boss at work or parents at home or elders here at the church. We're all under authority, and how people use authority changes us. It impacts us. Sometimes it's for good, others not so much. So what do we do? Uh, Well, some of us are quick to write off authority altogether. The thinking goes something like this. Oh, such and such used authority poorly. They hurt me or people I know, and therefore all authority is wrong. I'm not trying to minimise the pain and suffering um, abuse of authority can uh, cause. However, sometimes I think we're quick to believe the lie that there's a problem with authority. Rather than, the, rather than them being a problem with the person's heart. Uh, some of us are so used to being anti-authority that when we see good and godly authority, we struggle to believe that it can benefit us, that it can be a blessing. We tend to resist authority, thinking it's better not to be hurt or under someone's thumb. And not all authority is bad. Our passage tonight shows us how Jesus uses his authority to change lives for our good. So let's listen to God's word recorded in Mark's gospel. So please look in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. I'll start at verse 14 to give us some context. This is the word of the Lord. And now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. 
for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw, Jesus, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they came, sorry, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out in a loud voice, came to him, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. In the opening verses of Mark, Jesus is shown to be the promised king we've all been waiting for, who deals with our sin and pleases God for us. And now, Jesus begins his public ministry by commanding everyone to repent and believe in the gospel. Why? Uh, because the time is fulfilled. The king has come. But what does this kingdom of God look like? More to the point, how will King Jesus use his authority? Well, today, we'll see how people's lives are changed when we follow Jesus, learn from Jesus, and marvel at Jesus. So follow Jesus, learn from Jesus, and marvel at Jesus. So point one, follow Jesus. Uh, when we follow Jesus, our lives are changed. At the start of most ministries, uh, there's a time when you have to gather interest and advertise and start recruiting people. Uh, this was the case when I was part of the Christian Union. Uh, during this time of recruitment, we'd often walk up to random students and uh, it would be like cold contact style. We'd just ask them to join our Christian group. Uh, the trouble was uh, that when they saw our Christian stand or the Christian Union logo on our shirts, uh, they tended to steer clear of us. Uh, if you were fortunate enough to make eye contact, perhaps you could strike up a conversation and try and convince them that Christian Union was worth joining. You know, we were friendly, we were welcoming, and yet, you know, we'd get knocked back. You'd get the polite, oh, no, thank you, or oh, I'm right, thanks, or we just get ignored. Perhaps you know what it's like to try and start up a new ministry or invite someone to church or a Bible study or maybe even a Christmas choir, not naming names. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, that's not what we find here as Jesus begins his ministry. Uh, Jesus simply commands the men and they follow, they obey. Such is the life-transforming power of Jesus' authority. Now look with me again at verses 16 to 18. 
It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Jesus simply calls and they follow. Now these days, walking out on a job isn't such a big, de big deal. But, but back then, it was. Andrew and Simon weren't simply turning down a promotion or making a lateral career move. They quit. Uh, there isn't, this isn't just some mere agreement with Jesus or a passing commitment to follow Jesus because it could be new and exciting. No, it's a lifelong ongoing commitment to Jesus' authority. It's a new direction. It's a new allegiance. It's a new journey they're about to begin with King Jesus. But on top of that, Jesus promises them something as well. Did you catch it there in verse 17? Uh, Jesus himself will make them fishers of men. Uh, this is just like God's promise to Abraham, then called Abram, uh, in Genesis 12, our first Bible reading. Uh, God called Abram and promised to bless him before he'd done anything for God. As such is the grace and mercy of God. And Jesus does the same thing here. He calls Andrew and Simon, promising to equip them for his service before they've even done anything. Uh, don't miss this. Uh, Jesus is promising to change them, to change their lives, to enable them to be part of his work. Isn't that remarkable? However, their careers were affected. Our careers may be affected when we follow Jesus. Uh, perhaps you're keeping up to date with Andrew Thornburn. Um, uh, Duan mentioned him in our first uh, morning services, uh, that he his career was impacted because he follows Jesus. Uh, what happened, uh, if you're in the few who don't know, like I was a couple of days ago, um, well, he was the CEO of Essendon for one day. And this was because he serves at City on a Hill. And when the media found this out and found out the church's stance on controversial topics like abortion and homosexuality, they went after him. And he resigned. He chose to follow Jesus above his career aspirations. Now, could you imagine uh, following Jesus like this? Like Andrew Thornburn, like Andrew and Simon. Uh, Jesus changes us when we joyfully follow him. And notice the pattern is repeated again with John and James. Uh, Jesus speaks and they follow. Look with me at verse 19 and 20. It says, and going a, on a little further, uh, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus calls, and they follow. What's remarkable in this encounter is that not only do they follow Jesus when he calls them, but they left their father behind. And remember, Jesus isn't calling them to do something he hasn't already done himself. He has come down from heaven off his father's throne to come and save us. In our day and age, leaving your parents' home 
isn't that big a deal, uh, is it? It's more like a rite of passage to show that you're now independent and not under their authority. Uh, but in Jesus' day, it was a big deal. Uh, being part of the family business was common and removing yourself from such a business was rare. Now, this, the point is that G John and James respond to Jesus' call. They leave their career and their father behind to follow him. Is that something you're prepared to do? Are you willing to put Jesus before your family or your career? Uh, so many movies I've watched lately inspire us to follow our dreams, to do what you love at work and to value your family above all. A family is important. The Bible makes that very clear. And as Jordan uh, was preaching last week from Ecclesiastes, work is good when it's done for God's glory. But when Jesus calls, we must follow. We must put him before our career aspirations and our family's expectations. Uh, Jesus says as much later on in his ministry in Luke 14, he says those words, these words, if anyone comes after me and it does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is saying that we're to prioritise him above all else, even our parents, even our children. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love my wife, Sarah, and my daughter, Lydia, very much. But Jesus says he must have the supreme place in my heart and in my life as I follow him. Everything else should be a distant second. Now, this is, this is really hard teaching. And when we come to hard teaching such as this, uh, the tendency can be to justify ourselves and our current lifestyle. That is, we say things like, oh, you know, Jesus would want the best for my family. Therefore, I should continue to do such and such and such and such. Or, Jesus would want me to get promoted to keep going up that ladder so I can keep getting more money so I can give it to God's work. Uh, I don't know what it is for you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Uh, for me, uh, my reluctance to follow Jesus comes from when I, I can't see what's going to happen in the future. Then I tend to pull back, hesitate, justify, get out of it. How about you? Does Jesus trump whatever it is in your heart, in your life? Does, does, does Jesus trump your family, your career? When push comes to shove, who wins? Who do you follow? It may seem counterintuitive, but the closer we follow Jesus, the better we will look after our families. And the same is true of work. The closer we follow Jesus, the more cheerfully we will work because we'll be working as to the Lord. And it tends to work in the reverse too. Uh, the worse uh, I follow Jesus, or when I don't follow Jesus closely, my family and my work tend to suffer. Do you ever find that? We must pause here for a second and consider where grace fits into all of this. Because the last thing we should conclude is our obedience, our following, makes us saved. That we're saved because we do these things. That's not the pattern in scripture. We've, we've seen it already with Abraham and with, with uh, Jesus here. God chooses and saves a people 
out of his grace and mercy, and then they're commanded to follow him by living a certain way. We see that with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with the Israelites, with King David, and so on. Now with the disciples, and the same is true for us. This is the pattern. If we repent and believe in the gospel, we follow him out of his grace and mercy, not based on what we've done. It's all based on what Christ has done on the cross, his death and resurrection in our place, taking our sin and rebellion upon himself so that we could be redeemed. And all of this before we've done anything, not a single thing for him. Therefore, those who've responded to Jesus' call to repent and believe in the gospel have experienced a double transaction. Their sin is given to him and his perfect obedience is given to us. This is the gospel we believe and profess. And it ought to motivate believers to follow King Jesus, their Lord and Saviour. So let me ask you, are you actively following Christ every day? Or are you just going with the motions, not paying attention? Jesus' authority changes our life when we follow him, even when it's hard, even when it's unpopular with our family, even when it's not career smart. Not only does Jesus' authority uh, change our lives when we follow him, our lives are changed when we learn from him as well. Uh, this leads me to my second point, point two, learn from Jesus. We grow and change as we learn from him and his teaching. Uh, the story in our passage uh, turns now to a worship service in a synagogue, kind of like what we're doing now, but um, in a lot of ways not the same. Um, they've gone to this place of worship and Jesus begins to teach them, including his disciples. His disciples are there with him. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. Now, the disciples were used to working with their hands, but now they've got to learn how to be fishers of men by sitting under Jesus' teaching. Uh, once again, Jesus isn't calling them to do anything he hasn't already done himself. If you remember, uh, Jesus for most of his life has been a carpenter. He's been working with his hands. And now he's calling them to follow him and to learn from him. So he teaches them. He teaches them with authority. And Jesus' teaching was quite different, even from the scribes. We're not told exactly what that difference is. But what we are told is that people are responding. They're astonished to Jesus' teaching. Uh, perhaps it's because he taught with divine authority, which produced a response in his hearers. But more on that later on. Uh, this is how we grow as followers of Christ, by listening and learning from his teaching given to us in his word. So let me ask you for a second. Now, how do you respond to Jesus' teaching contained in God's word? Or do you seek to learn from Jesus in the word regularly? Or is it an optional extra? Now, those who follow Jesus will desire to sit under his teaching, to learn from their master who has saved them. And this is the way 
one of the ways that we learn and grow as Christians. We never drift towards godliness. We never drift towards godliness. We usually need to make a conscious effort working with the Holy Spirit to follow and learn from Jesus. And so we should be praying that he will do that in our lives, that the Holy Spirit will help us to follow and learn from Jesus. Ask God to help you follow the pattern. When Jesus speaks, you go, you follow. Autopilot and cruise control are for planes and cars, not disciples of Christ. This is a, that's for engineers out there. Anyway, uh, not only does following Jesus and learning from Jesus change our lives forever, but we also grow by marvelling at Jesus. Uh, this leads me to my third point. We should marvel at Jesus. When we marvel at him and his power and authority, our lives are changed. Uh, back to the story. So far in the synagogue, things are going pretty well, kind of like here. Jesus is teaching with authority and people are astonished at his teaching. But then there's commotion in the crowd. A man begins to make a scene and now we're about to see what Jesus' authority looks like against one of his enemies. So look with me at verses 23 to 26. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. What an intense scene. Uh, things have certainly escalated. This would never happen in a Presbyterian church, which is why I've planted... No, I'm just joking. We haven't done that. Uh, um, that would be the short... Anyway, uh, once again, we see the power of Jesus' authority, don't we? Jesus speaks, and now even his enemies have to obey him, restoring this man to good health. You see, the powerful authority of Jesus is on display here in the destruction of Satan's tyranny in this man's life. The unclean spirit didn't stand a chance against King Jesus and his powerful authority. Uh, this miracle clearly demonstrates how mighty Jesus is, how he's mightier than all who have come before him, even John the Baptist. And we should marvel. We should marvel at this power and authority that Jesus has, who can restore those who are spiritually afflicted. We should marvel at how Jesus is the Holy One of God who came not just to cast out unclean spirits but to defeat Satan entirely on the cross. We learn two important things from this encounter with the unclean spirit. One, unclean and evil spirits are real. Therefore, we shouldn't just dismiss them. But two, and more importantly, evil and unclean spirits have been defeated on the cross. They're defeated by Jesus' authority, so we don't need to fear them if we're in Christ. Uh, this is why the gospel is such good news, because God's enemies, Satan, sin and death, have been defeated on the cross. What, isn't this marvellous? Isn't this remarkable, fantastic news? Uh, Jesus uses his authority to change our lives for the better, not his own. He changes God's enemies into adopted children. Uh, we get a glimpse of this, just a small glimpse of the power of Jesus in this encounter with the unclean spirit, how he casts the unclean spirit out. 
how happy that man was at the end of that day. And how happy we are when we follow Christ, who unclean spirits obey, who goes before us to prepare a place in heaven where there's no sickness or sin or death. Even though I've witnessed God working powerfully in my life and, and those around me countless times, I, I still struggle to marvel at Jesus. I'm always looking for what's wrong. I fail to, and, and doing that, I fail to see the power and authority of Jesus around me. Like, like in this encounter right here with the unclean spirit. I see the unclean spirit and I think about what caused this situation? How did he get in? And what's he trying to do by identifying who Jesus is and so on and so on and so on. But in doing so, I miss the point. I miss the point that we should be marveling at Jesus and his power and authority over men and even unclean spirits. Now look again how people are responding to Jesus in verses 27 and 28. It says this, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. People were amazed. They were marvelling at Jesus and his authoritative teaching. Their eyebrows were on the roof. They couldn't understand how this teaching had such authority and changed lives in a dramatic way. But if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we can marvel at Jesus' power, not just in our own life, but in the lives of those around us. Just, just ask someone. Or... You could just share how God's been working in your own life powerfully. And if you're struggling to think of ways that God has changed you, if you're struggling to see Jesus' authority in your own life, like the disciples, like the man with the unclean spirit, then maybe you should prayerfully consider why that is. Now, could it be that you aren't following Jesus or seeking him uh, seeking to learn from him in God's word or marvelling at him. If that's the case, turn now and believe in Jesus. Believe in his work on your behalf. Repent and believe, Jesus says. Trust in the life, death and resurrection of King Jesus who came to reconcile you to God so you could have eternal peace and lasting joy. We've seen today how Jesus' authority changes lives when we follow him, when we learn from him, and when we marvel at him. Now, this is what believers will be doing in heaven. So why not start now? Marvel at King Jesus. He is the Lamb on the throne, the Eternal Son, the Promised Lord, the Saviour of the world. This is King Jesus. And may the Holy Spirit press this precious word onto our hearts now. Let's pray. A Heavenly Father, we are in awe of Jesus' power and authority in our lives. And we marvel at how everyone in this passage was changed, transformed by Jesus' words. Uh, please help us to follow Jesus closely, even when it's difficult. 
Please help us to put Jesus above our family and career, reaping the blessings and benefit of doing that. And please help us to sit under Jesus' teaching regularly and help us to marvel at Jesus, motivated by his grace and love. This we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.